This is our Everest. Greetings, culture vultures, and welcome to This Is Our Everest, a project where two idiots take each other to the absolute limits of what is possible. <laughs> I think that's a fairly accurate... The absolute... I think it certainly was, it certainly was with this, this particular The absolute program. limits of what is possible. Particularly, in this case, what is possible to endure. Well... But... Hmm. Um, it's the 19th of February, it 1988, is. which I believe was a Friday, because this is Friday Night Live. On Channel 4. Channel 4. This is the first series of Friday Night Live coming off the back of when it used to be called Saturday Night Live, not to be confused with the programme in a, on American television called Saturday Night Live, which is actually good sometimes. Yeah, I've I think... I I think it was called Saturday Live. I believe, yeah, I believe Saturday so. Night yeah. Live, and I also think that they deliberately changed the order in which they did things so that they could avoid themselves a uh, a lawsuit Wise. for copyright Wise. infringement. It's uh, it, I mean it starts in a manner which couldn't possibly be more fitting for its time. Oh, it's the most 80s um, beginning ever. It's the absolute MTV yeah. generation opening. Well, it's it's um it's it's a stop motion claymation type. It's an Aldman animation. Yeah, and it's 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 very sledgehammer. Very much so. This was a year and a half after Sledgehammer came out. Sledgehammer came out in July 1986. Yes. So um, this was a year and a half after that. And uh, and of course, it's hosted by the much-hated Ben Elton. Well, Elton. yeah, Saturday Live was also hosted by Ben Elton. Uh, and Saturday Live had given a big break to Harry Enfield uh, and also had featured turns, some seriously weighty turns, such as... Rick Mail and Aid Edmondson, um, Fry and Laurie, etc., etc. Well, I am currently watching on YouTube, and I do. I recommend that you watch this if you get the opportunity to. Uh, I'm currently watching on YouTube a BBC documentary from 2006 called "The Story of Light Entertainment." It's very good, very very good, narrated by Stephen Fry. And there is an ep- it basically covers um, the history of different types of light entertainment. Uh, and one of the episodes is about stand-up comedians and stand-up comedy on the television. And they have a bit about Saturday Live and about the alternative comedians and what have you. And uh, what um, they what 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 the guy said, um, who, who was the guy who ran the comedy store. In London, which was a completely unique place at the time, important to remember that there there weren't comedy clubs in the nineteen seventies in this country. If you wanted to see comedy, you know, you kind of had to go to a working men's club and watch, you know, Frank Carson in a yeah 
velvet jacket and a frilly shirt and a bow tie the size of a sunflower. <laughs> um, you know, telling racist jokes. Yep. And uh, so what this guy said was that um, when they started doing Saturday Live, uh, the producers of the show would just go to the comedy store every week. And if there was anybody on that they liked, they they just go, do you want to go on this yeah. new programme we're doing on Channel 4 then? So they were, they it were certainly looks like right that's what in. they did. But what I didn't know, which they also mentioned in this programme, was that most of the alternative comedians, or at least a lot of the alternative comedians, fucking hated Ben Elton even then. I didn't know that. I mean, Ben, I always viewed him as being, he was very much the king of this. He was, in 1988, he's in his absolute pomp. Yeah, no, I mean, particularly Alexi Sale, apparently. I can see that. Particularly Alexi Sale. But they also had an interview in this with um, with Mark Steele. Uh, he was like one of the talking head sort of things on it. And he fucking hated Ben Elton as well. <laughs> And now, I thought that the hating Ben Elton thing came when he started doing stuff like Queen the Musical. Yeah. Um, but apparently it predates that, and people kind of thought that he was a sellout and inauthentic and was doing it for the, you know, for the cash and doing it for the, for the, uh, for the opportunities that it afforded rather than because he had a conviction in this particular type of politics. Now, I only saw this episode of this programme either yesterday afternoon or this morning. I don't even remember which. So I was watching him with a particularly gimlet eye. <laughs> I think the best approach for, for dealing with it, because it's quite a... This is the longest programme that we've done so far. It's actually 12 yeah. minutes over our self-imposed limit. It is, yeah, yeah. I didn't realise it was that long. Well, it, it, but it feels so much longer. Uh, if we if yeah. we deal with the different turns, I guess. Well, yeah, I mean, we can rattle through. We can rattle through. I mean, Stavros um, made a, a cursory appearance. Basically racist. Basically right. And it, it, it looked like he'd probably written that in the cab on the way to the studio. Well, I mean, the joke is he isn't... gets his phrases mixed up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because English isn't his first yes. language. And that's kind of it, you know. There isn't really a great deal else going on. It's a little bit that. at odds with the whole alternative comedy movement, you'd think. But that's, you know, I suppose baby steps, isn't it? Yeah, baby steps. Uh, and yeah. then we throw to first time on TV, Bob Mills. The other thing they've sent us, bless them, Kylie Minogue, little Charlene from Neighbours, number four in the charts, very talented singer, fine actress, stupid name, isn't it? No disrespect. But she sounds like one of those duff Scandinavian teams you get in the first round of the European Cup Winners' Cup, doesn't she? <laughs> you know? Oh, the amazing result coming through here. Juventus 39, Kylie Minogue nil. So. Dies on his ass. Don't know how he ever got another appearance on TV out of that. It is surprising, isn't it? He looked like he was had been drinking. He looked a bit glazed and a bit... I mean, he... he, he it wasn't great material. Well, I think the green room, you know, has its effect <laughs> on all of these programmes, and especially ones that go out on Friday nights. I am convinced, absolutely certain, that every single guest who goes on the Graham Norton show is absolutely hammered. Oh, I would think, yeah, I would think so. By the time they get out on there. I've but got what no I idea is, whether that's true or not. 
But um... what I will say is about Bob Mills's performance. If you throw forward to the next stand-up act they had, which was at the beginning of the third act, as it were, uh, yeah. Joe Bol- Joe Bolster. A US yes. stand-up comedian. Yes. He's obviously he's from New York. He's been gigging in New York. He's yeah. essentially Jerry Seinfeld light. And I've got. I've, got the, I've actually got. I've actually written down proto Seinfeld. Well, he is. It's, well, uh, he wasn't so much the proto Seinfeld because Seinfeld would already have been going for some you, time. You know at that what point. I mean. You know but what you could. The the difference between him and Bob Mills was night and day. You could tell that Joe Bolster had been working in all the clubs in New York and he was match fit. Ran into a friend here in the streets in London, a friend from the US I didn't expect to see here, you know, and you always say the same thing in that situation. Small world. <laughs> I can't believe I'm seeing you here. What a small world. What a dumb thing to say. <laughs> I mean, you must pass 800 people a day you've never met. Do you ever say to one of them, you know, it's a big world. I've never met you in my life. <laughs> I can't believe how big the world is. You are a total stranger to me. <laughs> the world is humongous. Six billion people and we've never met. What are the odds? I think he had a bit of a slow start or a, a bit of nerves, but then he had the material to dig himself out of it. Whereas yeah. Bob Mills's, I'll watch a lot of TV. Do you watch TV? Yeah. I've watched Prisoner Cell Block H. Have you? Yeah. I mean, the material, I thought Joe Bolster's material wasn't great, but his delivery was so assured that yes. he yeah, kind of, he had the audience on side very quickly. And that makes an enormous difference to, if you're watching comedy from a spectacle, you're kind of third party to it. You know, there's two parties in that transaction. There's the comedian and the audience. And you're kind of like looking in on both of them at the same time. And so if there isn't the rapport there between the comedian and the audience, then it it impacts upon the experience of the third party. Um, Bob Mills did not have that. And uh, Joe Bolster, I didn't actually get his name at the time, so I'm glad that you were glad that you did. Um, uh, he, he kind of did. You know, he actually managed yeah. to get. Them. Well, yeah, like I say, it's match fitness. He's you, he's honed. Yeah, it's absolutely yeah, yeah, yeah. on it's it. Pra- yeah, it's it's practice. Bob Mills was on and, one. I think. Yeah, and there's an assuredness about it, which is, you know, it's like you'll always believe the patter of a salesman who's more confident. Oh, and yeah. and essentially that's that's the same thing being applied being applied here. After Bob Mills comes a character act. Uh, a sort of talking heads character act with Maury Hunter and Jack Doherty as Donald and George. Yeah. That that just drifted by me. Yeah. I just thought, it, well, this, that is again. Gonna, this has started, it will end, and yeah. all I've got to do is stay alive. Well, that was back to the... Um to the kind of Bob Mills stuff, wasn't it? Really, yeah. You know, the, the, the tiny little sniggers from the audience and uh, not not very funny. And I don't... See, the thing is, you have to go off the audience reaction at the time because yeah. it's 32 yeah. years old and nothing dates like comedy. Um, Very true. You know, you have to be exceptional to be funny decades later. Yeah. Um, and uh, that just... You do hear... It was two blokes sitting at a bar talking to each other with a drink. And I was why? Why do they need to be at a bar drinking just to have this conversation? It's so, you know, it doesn't it 
just didn't hang together. It didn't really make any kind of sense. And yeah. all right, I suppose it's a it's a scene of sorts. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. Um, it's a character piece, isn't it? But you don't yeah. get, you didn't, if you got no context for the characters and you don't care. Yeah. Then um, it's just a dick shit, isn't it? Yeah. Um, yeah. Speaking of shit, there's another musical act. He gets two bites of the cherry in in the show and finishes the first part. Fergal Sharkey. Fergal Sharkey. Fergal Sharkey. Suede jacket, braces. His microphone's a little bit quiet. Yeah, he walks onto the stage and starts prancing around. He looks like a geography teacher on the last yeah. day of term. In, in He looks like he's got no yeah, teeth. In, in Weatherspoons at 11 o'clock. Is what he looks like. He's he, oh, it's it's it's, and he's got the fucking Fergal shark. Yeah, and I hate his voice. He's got this kind of curdled voice Meh. that I just yeah. I just can't get on with it. And the thing is, you know, there's two or three undertone songs that I like. You know, mm-hmm. I like um, my perfect cousin because everyone does. I like Teenage Kicks, because everyone does. Mm. I like... It's going to happen. Yeah, it's going to happen. And Here Comes the Summer. Is it Here Comes so the there Summer? there you go. Four. So, you know, that, that, so that stuff's all right. But his... <laughs> Give up after His that. solo stuff blows goes. His, uh, the two songs that he sings, one was called More Love. Yeah. Uh, and the other one was called Out of My System. So, at least... At least he didn't sing a good heart. That would have that would have tipped me over. The that edge. might have done, yeah. That that long open note at the end of the chorus in in in, in a good heart, just brown note. Yeah, it just it, it sounds like somebody scratching their fingernails down a blackboard to me. It's awful. Um, I fucking hate Fergal yeah. Shark. Whenever I see Fergal Sharky, I think, well, there's you know, there's five minutes of my life. Well, of course, you so, know, there's two things that everybody knows about Fergal Sharky. Number one yep. was in the undertones. Number two yep. became a snitch. <laughs> and I've got a story about that. Okay. I've got a story. Yeah. A friend of mine, um, a friend yeah. of mine once found Fergal Sharkey's email address when he was working for the BPI and was the public face of sending people who record them album and then give it back to their mates and he emailed him to say dear fergal i don't i don't know the exact words i'm paraphrasing slightly dear fergal just to let you know that i just downloaded a good heart uh on limewire but because it's shit i deleted it without listening to it (laughs) (laughs) and i did it just to piss you off uh, yeah, uh, uh, he's. I just like I say, I can't be doing with his voice. I certainly couldn't be doing with his fucking yeah. dancing. I mean, Jesus Christ, how old would he have been there if Teenage Kicks was? Because the undertones were young. Say they were eighteen or nineteen in nineteen seventy nine. So he's no older than twenty eight or twenty nine. Uh, he was twenty nine. Twenty nine years old. Twenty nine years old. And I tell you what, right. If you grade his hair up a little bit, uh, he'd look double the age. Yeah, 29 years hard yeah, living. The only thing that's a clue that he's under 50 is the colour of his hair. After the break, yeah. there's a quiz. Yeah. They've got 
Jimmy Mulville. Yeah. Uh, and they've got Steve and Fry who are playing this. I, I mean, it is awful. I've written here, it's awful. Well, is it supposed to be a skit of blockbusters? There's a blockbusters... Um... I think it's it's sort of a vehicle to deal with stuff that's happened during the week. Yeah, but... Uh, I'm not quite sure why they felt the need to bring out guests or, or well, anything. There's... I mean, as I pointed out, Stephen Fry was currently appearing in a play in the West End with Rick Mayle, which, as we all know, is good news for the Belgian tourist board. Well, I think that I might have seen that. We went through a phase uh, with the English class that we would go to the theatre every week or to an art gallery every week. And we saw some good shit. We went to see there was a big Warhol exhibition at the Tate. Can't beat it. And uh, we saw a few decent plays. And one of those plays, one of the plays that we saw, I'm certain, had Rick Mayo and Stephen Fry in it. So I've got a feeling that I might have seen that stage show. But, I mean, the material they've got is just so bad. Well, I mean, Ben Elton does make reference to the fact that it was shit. And they don't know if they're going to do it again. Yeah, <laughs> and yeah. Uh, Jimmy Mulville is a—he's a better—he's a better comedy writer than he is a comedy actor. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah. Uh, and Stephen Fry is kind of struggling with the paucity of the material that he's got. And then you've got Harry Enfield standing behind him wearing a hat with "stupid" written on the front of it, just yeah. drawing a face on the blockbusters ball. It was utterly pointless. Yeah. It was. Make the program ten minutes shorter. Yeah, and it doesn't get any better afterwards. No, Josie Lawrence it, as Florence from Cradley. Yeah, it just cut, which, which was is, basically a a, a a sort of a female Kevin Turvey with the jokes taken out. Yeah, and I, and I like Josie Lawrence. She was, I know, I, don't, I well, had a, Josie Lawrence. I had a teenage very, crush on Josie Lawrence. Definitely, Josie Lawrence is uh, one of these. Holy, you know, sacred cows of yeah, the, particularly yeah. of the improvisation movement yeah. and the alternative comedy movement in the in the nineteen eighties. Um, I've never really been sold on her, but what I cannot take away from her is that she has had a huge influence. Yeah, yeah. Mm. This played into everything that I have ever wanted to think about Josie Lawrence, which is that she's. A bunch of old tits. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. I, 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 I struggle with improvisational comedy because yeah. I, I think the problem with this is it wasn't improvised enough. Yeah, because I mean, my, my issue with improvisation, uh, improvised comedy, is that what they're effectively doing is standing on the stage and saying, "Look how clever I am! I can do all of this without even having a script." Yeah. You know, look at me. Aren't I great for being able to do this? And actually, what you're getting is inferior comedy. No, I want scripted comedy that somebody has poured over and worked really, really hard on and has sculpted something that is brilliant and will take me on a journey and will be funny and make me think. I don't want fucking... Three Oxbridge wankers standing around a <laughs> piano while some prick belts out a you know generic show tune 
and those yeah. and, and they sing some bullshit over the top of it. I just don't get it. I don't understand. Yeah, you don't need to convince me. I mean, when she started acting out the sitcom with a series of kitchen brushes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that was that was nearly yeah. that was nearly it. You nearly won. That was nearly your victory yeah. in this project. Yeah, I mean, you you know, if you go and see a band, and they say, well, okay, well, you know, I know we took two years to record an album, and that well, album was made up of finely crafted songs. But actually, what we thought we'd do this evening for the next three hours would just be make shit up as we go along. On the bass, Derek Smalls. He wrote this. <laughs> he wrote this. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, by the end... By, I'll tell you what. By the end of Josie Lawrence, after Josie Lawrence um, and that quiz show skit and Fergal Sharkey and Bob Mills <laughs> and Stamos, one after the other, that's what one, two, three, four, five, six dog shit mm. turns in a row. I was ready. Pretty I was ready to pull the plug on it. I was ready to go. Do you um, know what? I might just lie and say I've watched the rest of it. Joan Collins fan club was well, next. Who doesn't love Julian Clary? How can you not love? Well, Julian the answer Clary? to that question is no. No one, one doesn't. Everyone, yeah. everyone, everyone loves, loves Julian, Julian Clary. Yeah. The only bit I didn't like about the Joan Collins fan club bit was he had a dog with him at the end and the dog was obviously fucking terrifying. No, he always had a dog, though. Well, yeah, but the dog... You see, the thing about the dog, he doesn't know that he's on Friday Night Live and the dog's a bit confused yeah. as to why there are 300 people yeah, I mean, I, yeah, I mean, I screaming guess. and stomping their feet. I should imagine going, he got used to it because I'm pretty certain... Oh, I, 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 should, I should hope It was so. Roly the Wonder Dog, wasn't it, was the name of the dog. Yeah. And... That ended up just as being a part of his live show for a few years afterwards. So I should imagine the dog, you know, got used to it. So, yeah, I mean, the Joan Collins fan club was a bit of blessed relief. I would, yeah. At least you were in, you you could relax and go, I mean, I'm in safe hands for five minutes. Yeah, I mean, I'd rather he'd done his stand-up rather than a song because he did his version of Leader of the Pack. I've got a feeling yeah. he might have put that out as a record in the end. I'm not sure though. I was, I did, I forgot to look it up. And uh, but he might have put that out as a record. I've certainly seen it done by him right. or heard it by him under other circumstances. I'm certain I have. Now the next act, I think, is going to get something of a reaction from you. What's happening? What is that? <laughs> I'll tell you what that is, right? That is loads of money. Yeah. And it's all mine, right? Loads of money. You can't have one penny, mate. It's all mine. I'm a plasterer, see? Bush, bush, shum, shum, dollop, dollop. Lovely job. Loads of money. <laughs> well, mate, how much you earn a year? Is that all? I'm on that in a bleeding day, mate. Loads of money. <laughs> well, I ain't been a plasterer, though, right? I- I'll go down the dole, you know. Not a sign on. Nah, just a wave. Loads of money. <laughs> Okay. Um, let's first of all just get the 
the basic simple facts of it out of the way. Uh, this is obviously the first episode of a new series and uh, is introduced as the plasterer. Um, so I strongly suspect that this is the first outing of loads of money. And, uh, and you know, they recognise quite quickly that it was a um, uh, very popular. You could see why it captured the zeitgeist like it is. Because if you take it as a comedy piece, it's one of the better ones in the programme. Mm. Um, Harry Enfield's giving it loads. The mm. material's pretty good. The character mm. is fully formed, such as it is. Mm. But I fear that you're going to say that it was, in fact, extremely damaging for the culture overall. Right. Um, okay. First things first, um, I don't know whether anybody who listens to the Chart Music podcast would be listening to this. On the off chance that there is, uh, when I listened to your takedown of it, um, I was nodding my head extremely vigorously right the way through it. And if it turns out that I'm saying exactly the same thing as you, I'm not plagiarising. I'm not plagiarising you. Uh, I am. I. This is, you know, my 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 heartfelt opinion. I think that that loads of money character is hateful, and I think that it is um, uh, a, 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 another example of a really unpleasant side to Harry Enfield's comedy. Um, he did it again years later when he did, like, Nelson Mandela. And it was like, in the 21st century, you're blacking up. Holy shit. And I get it, you know. Comedians have a tendency to go towards this untrammeled free speech idea. It's always likely to be a comedian. But here's the thing, right? That I know fully well because I saw it firsthand. At Spurs matches by 1989 or 1990 that the vilest, grossest, most horrible fans, football fans, were getting wads of banknotes out of their pockets and waving them at the fans of Northern clubs during matches. I saw it with my own two eyes. It was disgusting fucking despicable and Harry Enfield is responsible for that you know uh, that attitude in February 1988 January 1988 was about the most disgusting thing about living in this country it wasn't enough that there was rampant inequality um, throughout the country at the time in a, in a, in a way that we're you know Hit hurtling back towards now, it's not enough. It's not enough to have that inequality. You also need to celebrate it and belittle the people who are on the receiving end of it. Fuck Harry Enfield. Fuck him. I just, I'm, you know, I'm not, I'm getting really legitimately angry thinking about it. Um, I, I, it is such a hateful, horrible, 
shitty thing to do. And, you know, you can go for the old Garnet defence, which is that, oh, he's satirising those attitudes. Look, the point at which, with Garnet, the point at which the racists started agreeing with Garnet, Alf Garnet, is the point at which Warren Mitchell and Johnny Spate needed to pull that character. And Harry Enfield, who is not an idiot, should have fucking seen that coming. You know, he should have seen straight away. Because, you know, I lived just outside of London at the time. And those fucking tax-dodging wide boys who wanted everything done in cash... No fucking loyalty to anything apart from their own bank balances and themselves. They can all go fuck themselves. And they were everywhere at the time. And it and it was, you know, all over the place. A couple of years after this, when my sister was working in um in uh, in Farringdon in, in, in London, she was she was a a branch manager for, for Lloyd's um in West Smithfield, the Smithfield Meat Market. And um and I used to go up there every now and again to go out drinking with her. I was like, you know, twenty, twenty-one, whatever, and she was, you know, late twenties, early thirties. I'll, I'll allow it. Yeah, and 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 we go out drinking on Friday nights sometimes. And her her mates and all the people that she worked with were there. But they these people were real. You know, they weren't overblown caricatures of something. They were fucking real. They existed. These people who literally thought that people who earned considerably less than them or people who couldn't get jobs because there were no jobs, um, they 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 thought these people were subhuman. And if you want to, it was a crash course in Toryism, which drove me as far away from that idea as you could possibly get. And then, of course, you know, I went to university in Liverpool um, just after the end of the 1980s. And I saw it for myself firsthand, what the actual effects of 10 years of that fucking division is. And Liverpool was in fucking ruins by 1991-92 time. You know, it's difficult to get your head round it now because it's a lovely city now and it's been substantially regenerated. But at that time, I got there and I found it almost incredible that there could be so much poverty in a city in this country, a major city. Liverpool lost like a quarter of its population in 10, 12 years or something. People just Because there was no work. You know, you can't blame people if there's no jobs. Hmm. And I understand, you know, I get that there are industries that die. And I understand that, you know, that things I say, I mean, it doesn't apply to Liverpool, but coal mining had to go. You know, we had to finish coal mining in this country if for no other reason than that it's horrifically bad for the environment. What was unforgivable, and it was unforgivable in Liverpool, it was unforgivable in South Yorkshire, and it was unforgivable on Tyneside and South Wales and Scotland and everywhere else they did it, was that they were just left marooned, these people. They were left without a fucking chance. And as if that wasn't bad enough, they were then demonised for it. I tell you, 
these people can go fuck themselves every single one and and, and it's funny actually because in the comments the youtube comments this is going to become a very regular feature oh, of God, this yeah. in the youtube comments you've got somebody saying uh, um, david hargreaves who can also oh. go fuck himself <laughs> When Channel 4 was worth watching and hadn't got wokeitis. Oh, well, wokeitis is a very bad condition. Well, first of all, he's fucking pig ignorant about what Channel 4 was like in the 1980s. Because Channel 4 was, by some distance, the most woke of all the TV channels. In that, actually, yes, it did do proper minority programming. Uh, and you know, and it did actually cover areas and subjects and things which other companies or the other free television channels didn't. And secondly, well, yeah, I kind of get your point actually, there, David Hargreaves, because there is a whole load of horrible, nasty Tory bullshit coming out of Harry Enfield's mouth. So hmm, I kind of take your point. I don't necessarily think I'm interpreting it the way he'd like me to, though. Do you know what I mean? So, no. um, uh, so yeah, as a resounding fuck you to Harry Enfield for that, because it 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 was it's just so nasty and shitty and mean spirited. Everybody knew by 1987 that there was deep inequality. Now, it wasn't like nowadays when everybody's got a camera and the internet can show you up close and personal, so I didn't actually get to see it until I went to live there. And I have to tell you that having been to these places at the same time, places the other places I went to in the northwest of England, places like you know Stoke-on-Trent or Manchester, Warrington, Southport, they weren't really a great deal better off than Liverpool. But Liverpool, I think, was probably the worst affected of the lot. And to leave a city of half a million people just completely stranded like that was, to me, just unconscionable. And uh, like I say, you know, all right, we didn't have the sort of media coverage. You couldn't see it firsthand. But he's a fucking adult. Do you know what I mean? He's old enough to have seen a bit of the world outside whatever posh part of fucking London he comes from. I, I don't know where Harry Enfield's from. I know it's not Enfield. But um, <laughs> let's, just have a, let's just have a quick look. Harry Enfield is from... Oh, he's from Horsham. Of course he is. <laughs> he's from fucking Horsham. Uh, yes, and he went to oh, he went to the independent Arundale School in Pulborough. Yeah, well, so there you go, you know. But then, you know, he studied politics at York University, and then he squatted and worked as a milkman. So he's shitting on his own people. If that's if that's who he actually was, except of course he wasn't. You know, he was he was somebody who was squatting by choice because there was no point at which he wouldn't have been able to go back to Mater and Pater in Horsham and back to his comfortable upper middle class upbringing. No, no, no way that wasn't a possibility for him. So he was so, you know, at the end of the day, he's like the fucking woman out the pulp song, you know, the common people song, you know, Um yeah. At the end of the day, and then when you can make a fucking dollar out of it, then yeah, you know, turn into the oh, 
worst, most horrible fucking stereotype that you can. It's grotesque, is what it is. Was that your least favourite part of it, then? Yeah, I would fling that. (laughs) Fling it into the sun. Fling it into the sun. I have to say, I I picked it as the the part that's going to live with me because, well, you know... It has echoes. Yeah, I mean, far yeah, I... beyond any any other part of this program. It has echoes. It has terrifying echoes. Yeah, I mean, fact. I can understand. I can understand that um, that what you see in there is the start of a cultural phenomenon. But what you what you see in there is it's a cultural phenomenon that's punching down, and that's yeah. the thing about racism. That's the thing about homophobia. That's the thing about misogyny. That's the thing about transphobia. Is that it's all about punching down. You don't fucking punch down. And if you've been to a private school in Horsham and then studied politics at York University, you don't go on the TV celebrating Thatcherism. (laughs) He can go Uh. fuck himself. Silly um, racist cunt. You know, the, the Nelson Mandela thing, if you haven't seen it, go onto YouTube, search for Harry Enfield Nelson Mandela and have a look Have a look at it. It's fucking gross. And that was about... That was definitely this century. I want to say that was about 2004, something like that. It's probably a good idea to strap your jaw to the yeah. top of your head strap because otherwise it's it. just going to yeah. drop off. Yeah. That, I mean, even at the time, and this was not like the times we're living in now, you know, I'm talking about comfortably more than a decade and a half ago. Um, even at the time, it was like, holy shit, why is he doing that? <laughs> oh, what, what, uh, what, uh, what was your gross. What was your favourite part of Friday Night Live? Uh, my favourite part of Friday Night Live was uh, the was Joe Bolster, if only because it looked like even though the comedy was quite old and dated and the you know the jokes were a little bit corny um it felt like a professional had stepped into a room full of amateurs and yeah, i appreciated I that, that. and know, also was i think that, that, actually, that, that, here was somebody who was actually working on their art rather than just yeah. turning up and hoping it would all work out in the end and i think that the material at the time was pretty much cutting edge um, it's become very yeah, much. Yeah, it's dated. Stayed. Now. Yeah, it's dated now. But, but as I you don't, say, I don't, comedy I think it was dates like yeah. um, nothing else. My personal highlight was the bit at the end because I think Ben Elton realised that he was the captain of a sinking ship, mm. and so you know the ins and outs of Ben Elton, whether you know you know you like Ben Elton or not, I. I decidedly uh, mixed feelings on Ben Elton but him in full flight at the end there giving it, it both barrels at 200 miles an hour was a seriously impressive piece of TV he yeah. was digging his show out of a whole heap of shit because yeah. there had been a whole heap of shit and there was still a Fergal Sharky number to come it is not I lied to you, ladies and gentlemen. My fridge is not empty. There are things in it, but they've been there so long I don't notice them anymore. They're like sitting tenants. They've got landlords' rights. They can stay as long as they like. Maybe when they tighten up the property laws, I can get them out. But at the moment, they're safe. There are levels of degradation in my fridge. In the top of the fridge lives 
the ice monster <laughs> whose sole job it is in life to grow bigger <laughs> and attach cans of my lager to his body <laughs> so I'll break my wrist when I try and get them out of the fridge give me back my lager ice monster no piss off I'm keeping it <laughs> he has a terrible secret the ice monster knows I have left him too long I should have defrosted him years ago he knows you can't kill me you can't defrost me because I'll flood the kitchen <laughs> he is too big to kill underneath the ice monster in my fridge lives the teacup a teacup full of brown chickeny stuff. <laughs> now why is there a teacup in my kitchen, in my fridge, full of brown chickeny stuff? I will tell you, ladies and gentlemen, it is because three years ago, when I cooked the last meal I ever cooked, it was chicken, and in a moment of insane and irrational optimism, with no hope of success, I thought, oh, I'll collect them chickeny bits in a teacup. They'll make soup tomorrow. <laughs> I'll put them in a fridge, and they are still there. Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, I... I... I have no opinion on Ben Elton particularly, um, and never have had. Uh, I, I I do think that um, Queen the Musical is probably crap, uh, I, and I, he's he's had his name yeah. attached to some bullshit over the years. But at the same time, you know, he was one of the fucking writers of the young ones, and I'm not I'm not gonna take that he's singularly untalented or anything like that but at the same time i don't really have i don't you know he doesn't he doesn't nudge my swingometer in either direction particularly but uh, that the his closing stand-up act which actually is quite a famous um bit that he's done several other times about his fridge yeah and living in a communal house yeah um it's it's absolutely relentless and it's breathless and it is brilliant. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, like I say, it left me a bit cold, but I don't know just whether that's because I, I really do think that that old comedy has to be exceptional to be funny, and if it's quite good, it's still going to sound, you know, kind of dated and a bit crappy. So it didn't really do anything for me, uh, but I'd be overregging the pudding. If I said that I hated it, I, I could see in him an awareness that the show hadn't necessarily gone particularly yeah. well. Yeah, the thing is, he's done it twice in one program. There, you know. So, um, what, what's going to stay with you for? Uh... Loads of money thing will stay with me because, like I say, you know, it's it's. I, I think it was the beginning of a cultural phenomenon that didn't last for very long because it's an incredibly limited joke, you know. Uh, there's only so long that you can get away with that sort of shit for. And it's also worth remembering that uh, after he did loads of money, immediately after he did loads of money, he did another character who was a Geordie called Bugger All Money. I don't remember. He's he's not as well remembered. You think I'm joking about that? No, no, that? I'm, I'm it, sure it'll he be did. On YouTube. That that that's a real that's a real thing. That that's a poisonous poisonous set of attitudes to carry into so-called alternative comedy you know comedy that's supposed to be progressive uh, and is supposed to be forward-looking and I've, i mean i've always thought there's an element of uh, just straightforward self-aggrandisement about that but uh, yeah i just i just thought well, it was kind of grotesque. luckily that's it uh, for comedy for us for the for a while at least because our next episode is the two of us 
Yeah, I mean, I I saw that on the list, <laughs> and I thought, well, it's going to be a sitcom. I, I, you know, and I can't remember who's in uh, it. Nicholas Lindhurst and Janet Dibley. Ah, oh, right, okay, yeah, she's the kind of pixie-faced one, isn't she? There is a, there is a short black yeah, hair. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There is else? a there is a pixie-ish. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah. Okay. To right. Janet Dibley. I mean, I'll give it a go. I'm not. Well, you got to. I'm not going to. Dems the yeah, rules. I mean, I'm not. Yeah, I mean, I'm not going to get angry at Nicholas Lindhurst because how can you get angry at Nicholas Lindhurst? So even if it's terrible, my ire will be directed elsewhere. Towards Harry Enfield. So well, yeah, you know, we'll just go back to this because I could rattle on about loads of money for at least another couple. Oh of yeah, I, I gathered that. <laughs> Anywho, um, that's it. We're done. I, I never have to watch that again. Thank fucking Christ. <laughs> So, uh, <laughs> it's all true. It's all true, and my voice has held up as yeah, well. Impressed. Some somehow or other, my voice has held up. But we'll be back, same time tomorrow. Same old bullshit. <laughs> I'll try not to give myself an aneurysm watching the two of us. Yeah. Uh, but uh, in the meantime, thanks very much for listening, and goodbye. <laughs>